Okay, hello everyone, and welcome to Speculum, a show where we open up and inspect the most sensitive topics in medicine. Uh, my name is Alyssa Zuquette, and I'm just a medical student that's trying to make the healthcare community a brighter place. Today I'm here with uh, Gwen Hayworth of TransCare BC, and we're going to be talking about transgender health. So hi Gwen. Hi Alyssa. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm pretty good, thank you so much. Um, I'm at work and it's uh, it's it's... It's going great. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, so do you want to tell the audience a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do? Um, for sure. Um, I'm currently working at TransCare BC as the education project manager. Uh, what brought me to this is my own personal story. Is I'm someone who identifies as trans and was born in the early 70s. Uh, had a good sense of my gender identity by the late 70s, but kept that to myself for 20 odd years. I finally came out and that was in the year 2000 and navigated the healthcare system between 2001 and 2004, accessing gender affirming care. And along the way, just met a lot of people that were struggling with a lot more challenges than myself, a lot of people that were had other things that were um, happening, like dealing with poverty or family not accepting and so forth. And so nowadays, I just feel really passionate about um, bringing more awareness around gender affirming care, because I think it really, really significantly helps the health outcomes of a lot of people. Right. That's great. So uh, would you say that your own experience within the healthcare system led you towards this position? Absolutely. I think uh, just experiencing what it's like to see both providers who didn't have the information or were reluctant to give care because they thought it was a specialized um, form of care, and then seeing um, newer um, care providers who were just very willing to work with learn alongside of you uh, made me realize just how many people out there actually are um, allies or willing to be great allies just to learn a little bit of information or have a little bit more education around gender affirming healthcare. Definitely. So what do you what do you do now in order to provide that information to these people? I get to work with a lot of amazing, awesome people here who are passionate about the work as well. Um, folks who've come from all different backgrounds, folks that are really excited to do um, lots of work with community, um, um, folks who've... Uh, um, experienced um, as a care provider what it's like to learn about the care and then getting out there and helping folks and I often hear from care providers that this is a really rewarding area to practice care in that the that folks like myself often are incredibly grateful in ways that you might not see if someone's just you know coming in for cancer treatment or something else um, and it's true when you find um, care providers who are non-judgmental and really wanting to work with you you feel witnessed you feel like you have a sense of agency and it, it really does empower people in their own health care and beyond so that that's um, what I love I currently am focusing on building some of our education materials alongside people that are throughout our whole program and other uh, care providers and community members outside of it as well. Uh, and the idea is to really have a lot of resources and tools, and online trainings for anyone who's a stakeholder in gender affirming care to be able to learn or to advocate for themselves or their, for their families and so forth. I'm so glad to hear that. When you say a uh, stakeholder, uh, what do you, what kind of people do you mean? Well, I think it's probably pretty clear that someone like myself who identifies as trans is a stakeholder. But I think there's a lot of other folks that are in that, whether they're direct stakeholders or not. And of course, family, friends, partners are, are, are a huge part of that too, in terms of stakeholders. 
And then when we think about care providers, not just thinking about our GPs and MPs that can provide most of our, um, our primary care needs, but also all their staff, their uh, medical office assistants, thinking about folks that work in um, social work and mental health, folks that work in nonprofits that work with people. And then also thinking about how some of the foundational le learnings that we can teach folks um, could also be useful out in communities, whether it's with an employer, whether it's just be going to a swim at the local parks board. Um, if we can get more of that education out there, I think it really just empowers all of us to help this process succeed and become less awkward or potential for conflict. Of course, it's so important to, um, for me, especially as a budding healthcare professional, to learn how to provide these services because you know what? It's not really offered within our curriculum, so we have to find other places of finding that information, which can be frustrating, to be honest. And I've heard over the years, because before working here, I worked at Vancouver Coastal Health doing in-person workshops, uh, that's, um, it's not always in curriculum, but more and more there's interest in students and instructors in bringing it in. So I'm pretty hopeful that in a few years to come, we'll be seeing more opportunity to have it in as required and or uh, electives that people can use, whether it be some of the things that we're creating right now with UBC Continuing Professional Development, which is online training modules. Perhaps that's something that um, will then be introduced into the curriculum at some point. Okay, it seems like a really great project and I'm really excited to see what, that, what comes out of that project, honestly, because I think it's gonna be some really valuable information for my classmates and I. And what I also really appreciate uh, in, in terms of folks coming through, um, whether it be health sciences, uh, med school, nursing schools, schools of social work, is is the amount of folks that are really, really genuinely interested in um, upping the gender affirming care game that are, whether it's because it's, it's something that's personally passionate, whether they have folks in their lives or something that they just believe in, in addressing inequities. And I think that we're seeing more and more folks come or who are interested in doing practicums or things of that nature and including a number of medical students which is really really quite wonderful because i think that more and more we're looking as we look move forward we're recognizing a lot of the care for folks a lot of the care for gender diverse folks easily falls within the primary care scope of gps and mps and so forth if i am snowboarding and i you know, sprain my ankle, I don't need to go to a trans specialist in order to have that looked at, right? I can go to my um, my regular primary care provider. And I think in the past, when things are sometimes seeming um, maybe a tiny bit more complex, but well within the scope, sometimes people would want to refer trans folks to specialists because uh, just because of the thought that it might be the great unknown. But the reality is um, it's all well within the, the scope of primary care for, for folks who feel comfortable and confident enough to do the work. And sometimes um, access to a bit of information and education can really help um, make people feel better that way. And access to other folks who have done this kind of care, whether it be through the race line, the rapid access to consultative expertise or so forth. Um, so more and more of that's happening out there and we're seeing more and more care providers, whether they're working now or in school and becoming so, um, who are really wanting to step up the game. And I'm excited about that. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you brought that up because actually as someone that might end up in primary care or my colleagues who might end up in primary care, what kind of advice do you have for providing gender-affirming care to these people? Um, 
I can tell you a little bit from my own experience that the the first GP I went to uh, was really, uh, I think, I, I can't really speak for her, but I think she was apprehensive or reluctant to provide the care. And at the same time, reluctant to tell me that she was uncomfortable um, and to refer me along. So I spent five to six months just hoping that she would help move my, my care forward by referring me to the gender clinic that exists at the time. Um, but it just never really happened. I then went to someone who was new, a, a newer uh, GP, and she didn't know have all the answers, but she was very willing to work with me. And for me, that was amazing to have somebody who saw me and um, accepted this is who I am and worked with me. So I think being compassionate, being non-judgmental, recognizing that no matter how much you may know or not about gender affirming care, that we never know at someone's journey until they tell us what it is that they're looking for. So not assuming that someone is um, interested in hormones or, or is interested in sur sur surgical procedures, uh, unless they let us know that that's what it is. Um, and I think the most important thing is being there and present and letting the, the person that you're um, getting to work alongside uh, let you know their journey and, and hearing that. I think another thing that's um, really useful and important is seek out the information and make sure that you get more than one opinion. Uh, there's a lot of folks out there who uh, have a lot of experience, some folks who see themselves as experts. They may be experts in a certain type of uh, practicing, but it might be really useful to make sure that you get a few different um, uh, um, opinions from different care providers with experience, just to make sure that you are, are aware of all the possibilities of working in an affirming way with your, with your diverse clients. Right. So would you say that you could get this information from specialists in gender affirming care, but also kind of through trans care and what you and your organization do? Yes, but you can also get it from care, um, primary care providers that are working throughout BC in the different health regions. And more and more, we're seeing um, GPs, NPs, nurses, and other folks in different regions who are working a lot with gender diverse folks. And so I think a really important thing is to recognize that we don't need to have a centralized hub, that uh, all the, the information is, is there. It's more something that we're working together to increase that capacity across the province. So Transcare BC wants to be a big part of making sure that we are making that that kind of uh, information um, aware to folks. We want to work with different providers and different um, um, clients and families and mental health providers too to make sure that that information is being shared with one another. So we're building capacity together. Um, and I think that the long game is is that this most of this care will be uh, be able to be felt. I'm sorry, um, be able to be accessed as close as home as possible. There may always be some certain things that are specialized, maybe certain very complex specialized surgeries that you might go to one a place that, that where they do those surgeries. But even those surgeries can be done within each region um, and or in time will be. And that's something that we're really working on so that most people don't necessarily have to fly to Vancouver or somewhere else in order to get certain care that they should be able to get from their primary care provider or even a surgeon within their region. Right. So would you say that over the years you're seeing more and more primary care professionals that are choosing to get trained in providing gender-affirming care than, the, say, there used to be? Absolutely. Um, so again, I came out in 2000 and spent 2000 and 2001 searching for a primary care provider at the time. Um, 
there were definitely some folks out there, but it was much more, there are fewer and far between. Nowadays, we're seeing more and more people that are really willing to do the work and um, see the benefit of it and actually really, really enjoying, as I was saying earlier, working with folks that are so happy to, and thankful to be receiving affirming care. So I, I think that we're going to see more and more of that happen. And as we have more and more of that, I think folks will be helping train each other alongside accessing things like the TransCare BC's information and education site, the race line, continuing professional development and so forth. But people will be talking with each other about their experiences um, and I think supporting one another within their own regions as well. Uh, I'm really glad to hear that more people are getting more awareness in this area. Uh, for those doctors or primary care people that are still lacking in the knowledge of how to, pro how to provide gender-affirming care, what do you think are some barriers for them to be learning, this, learning these techniques? Things that I need to be aware of, basically, in my future practice. Well, I think that you named it earlier on that quite often folks uh, don't get the training in, in when they're in school. Uh, there's often not a lot that speaks to uh, LGBT health, let alone uh, gender-affirming health care. And then thinking about the different... Um, complexities that might impact that in people's lives. Quite mm. often, trans folks may be folks that are not necessarily making the highest amount of income, so poverty might become a scenario. Then with, with lack of income or underemployment may come things like being able to choosing where you're living, um, the food that you're able to, to eat, whether or not you can access physical fitness, which may also impact your mental health and so forth, what kind of mental health providers you can access. So just recognizing the impacts of... of of all that um, it can be um, huge in a sense. And I think that the more that we learn some of the foundational stuff, just the basics of, of even gender affirming care, and then thinking about that within a primary care setting, I think that when we're um, meeting people who may have other issues or barriers that come up in their life as well, that we're much, much um, more likely to be able to meet them where they're at. Um, and I think that, that, so I think it's a stepping stone to make sure that there's some access to education. Um, again, I think that thing that we're hoping to do is, is work with the schools uh, to have more education available. And I think in looking a few years down the road, we're hoping to create facilitated modules as well um, with again, talking with the schools, with um, divisions of family practice, with uh, actual um, GPs and MPs about what they think would be the most useful things to be learning within a facilitated module, um, and then offering that so that we can do our part in helping folks move forward. I think that um, one of the things TransCare BC has been um, doing in the last few years is trying to reach out and, and, and connect with uh, GPs and MPs across the province, folks that want to do more primary care work, um, maybe assessor training, which really just means folks that really want to help folks uh, who want to take a medical journey. So if they're interested in hormone initiation uh, or surgical care planning, then there's um, giving GPs and MPs across the province the opportunity to learn about that through workshops, but then preceptorships that follow. So we've been trying to take that as a tactical approach, but we, we we're hoping to get more resources out there, toolkits like we have on the TransCare BC site right now for primary care providers um, and the online modules in time to help uh, support folks across the province. And then after folks have taken that, if they have questions, again, they can contact our health navigators our, our um, um, medical um, director or um, just email us and we'll connect you with folks, whether it be the race line, whether it be other care, primary, primary care providers throughout the province or in your region that can help you, again, move forward with it. Mm -hmm. 
So it really sounds like uh, you get yourself into schools and we're going to have all the new primary care providers educated in this sort of thing. And that's great. Well, we're hoping we're hoping to work with the schools and then with um, providers who are out there afterwards. I know that um, med school, nursing school and other schools are jam packed with information that you're learning. So the ability to learn about this in depth, we don't know yet how much um, time uh, will they'll be able to uh, spend or not. But if we have the information out there, if folks are really interested in it, um, hopefully we want to make we want to make it as easy to access as possible. And maybe with um, with in time, um, whether it's the med school, or the nursing schools or other uh, others um, health um, sciences uh, if folks see the need for this or they think it'll be in useful in certain courses uh, we just want to have it up and going and ready to adapt based on their needs um, when the time comes mm -hmm. it always seems to be such a big issue is there's there is so much that you have to teach new healthcare providers whether it's nurses or doctors that how do you find time to go into detail on all of the all of the things that we need to know and it's so little time we only get 2 years of training before we have to go in and into our clerkship and work essentially Absolutely. And what you may find, too, is it might be something one is interested in learning about, but the kind of work that you're out there and doing for most of the time, maybe you don't come across needing to do this work for a while. And so when you're quite busy doing other work, it just isn't the time to, to do it and also to retain it because you're not out there doing that. But maybe in time you find you come across some awesome trans person like myself, if I do say so. And um <laughs> And you decide that this is the right time and place. And now the information is there and it's accessible in the different modalities, which um, and you choose what works best for you in terms of retaining that and moving forward. And again, there's more and more care providers out there who have been doing the work that will be more than happy to, to, to work with you or to give you advice or or so forth. Um, quite often very um, much wanting folks to rise up because they're just finding that there's just perhaps not enough as of yet in the different regions across the, the province. Um, and they would love, love, love folks who would be willing and interested to work, do similar work as them. Right. So if you don't mind, let's flash forward into the future of myself and my colleagues. And let's say that we are, we've learned all about gender affirming care in school. We've connected with more resources, uh, TransCare BC and physicians that are providing gender affirming care. And we're ready to start providing this care. What are some of the barriers for transgender people into accessing care? I think a few things uh, in the past especially have been the ability to find information that's um, up to date, that's credible, that's been vetted, um, that's um, particularly relevant to BC or the region that you live in. I think the often having to do a lot of your learning about uh, trans health through word of mouth has been huge. And especially if I look back again, 15, 20 years, how often that um, word of mouth might be based on just having to navigate different um, care providers or the lack of care providers, where now it's finding with more and more folks out there and more and more folks who are practicing awesome gender affirming care, I think that there's, um, again, that word of mouth is happening, but more in a very positive way of saying that these people are great, go to them in a sense. I think also now we have um, TransCare BC, which has only really been around for 
two years. And in that growth of that, we've had a number of teams that have come up, including our care coordination team, which has health navigators on it. Now, the health navigators feel question question anything that, that's simple to complex. If they don't know the answer themselves, they have a medical team that they can work with and they can draw on. Um, but we have um, care, primary care providers called the health navigators. We have trans and gender diverse folks called the, the care providers. We have families of uh, parents of uh, transgender gender diverse folks um, also connect with the health navigators to ask the questions or ask about resources and so forth. We also have a older trans health information program website, um, which we are going to be building to a more robust trans care BC website soon. So that does exist right now and the health navigators will direct folks to it, but we will also be adding more to it. And I think with the education team creating more resources alongside our medical teams and other folks, there's that as well. We also have a peer and community engagement team, which is working on helping support um, um, groups in, across the province uh, for trans and gender diverse folks, for parents and so forth, that have existed in the past or just want to start up and exist now. So we're hoping that that will help create more um, connection for different trans folks and their families across the provinces, but also because they're also tapped into TransCareBC, hopefully it'll help uh, with a dissemination of more accurate and up-to-date information that's really helpful and proactive for folks. Okay. That's, that's awesome. So you're in Vancouver. So would you say that because you're in Vancouver and that a lot of these systems exist within Vancouver? I would say that because Vancouver has been a, um, quite a, a, a high urban population for quite a long time, that more and more, there's a lot of that need has pushed for certain service to, to be continue to grow and exist. But one of the things that was definitely identified in our steering committee that created TransferBC was the importance of addressing health, health inequities across the province and making sure that we can get care closer to home for everybody who wants it or needs it. So we've talked to folks like youth from um, the Northern Health Region who have to get their family together to, to fly down to Vancouver in order to go to a meeting or two. And that's not, um, that's not, feasible and realistic and economically viable for the family, especially if some of the family might be apprehensive about the care and hoping it's just the phase. If you have care that's closer to home and then people, any apprehensions can be um, addressed in a way that is relieving for the family, um, they're more likely to act, go quicker and that youth is more likely to have not deal with as much stress of having to wait and the frustration, right? So I think it's really one of the big things about all the things that we're doing now is trying to get more and more of that care to be in the regions that, uh, throughout the province. Also, one other piece that's coming up is uh, more and more use of telehealth. And so we're trying to find ways to make sure that telehealth can help where, where some of the gaps currently are. Um, but again, as I was mentioning, we're really, really hoping that folks that deliver primary care, folks that do that assessor level care, which is really just about making sure people are, are ready for moving forward in their, their own journey and healthcare journey, whether it's medical or surgical. Or, and so, um, yeah, I think it's one of those things that is a challenge, but it's a challenge that we're excited about, about addressing with folks within the different regions, within different areas of the different regions to make it more sustainable in those areas so people aren't always having to check into Vancouver or Victoria but are able to actually get that care at as close to home as possible. Yeah well, as someone that I get most of my lectures for medical school from Vancouver over video conference that's just how our schooling works so I am a testament for how well video conferencing can work if that's your only option but I'm glad to hear that it's been able, you've been able to spread so widely over the province. 
One of the things that I'm excited about uh, as the education project manager uh, is our online um, training modules and recognizing that that folks, care providers, families, trans folks can actually take these if they're interested anywhere in the province. So if if you have sit perhaps uh, for an example, a mother or a parent who's uh, really concerned about making sure that their child gets the best gender affirming care as possible, there's a good chance that that parent might be up till three in the morning, you know, going through the website looking at different things and maybe they stumble across something that might be really useful to uh, to give to their the GP or the NP that's working with their youth right so I feel like the opportunity to get this information out and the modules out there that all people anywhere can access I think is really uh, useful I also like Indigenous Health has um, a, 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 something called the Sanus platform and they do their um, cultural competency modules and they're facilitated and what I love is that the facilitators actually don't all live in Vancouver they're all across the province outside the province and beyond so my hope in time with the education team is when we have facilitators they might be living in places all across the province uh, and it won't necessarily need to be centralized in Vancouver. Right. Uh, we did the, as medical students, we did the Sanya's uh, course online. It was a really valuable experience. There's something about just doing a module where you don't have any feedback, where you just kind of go through it as fast as you can. But when there's someone there that can kind of guide you through it, even over the internet, it makes a big difference for sure. Anyway, um, moving on to something that's maybe a little bit more sensitive. Uh, do you think that there is still stigma that exists that is compromising the gender-affirming care that transgender people may be seeking? I think it's a good question. And d definitely, I think that many people may find that here and there that they're um, they're going to care or accessing places where they're not necessarily getting as gender-affirming care as they should be. And I think that... For me, what I what has been really passionate in terms of when I did my five to six years of, let me see, I think it was six years of uh, doing in-person workshops for Vancouver Coastal Health, is really thinking about all the allies and potential allies in the room who are care providers, who are mental health providers, who are social workers and so forth, and focusing on um, welcoming them into more gender-affirming care. And I... I my analogy that I often think about it is, is there might be resistance here or there in folks, and sometimes it's just because of uh, a lack of knowledge or fear or apprehension. Um, but if you are able to really connect with the folk, the allies and the potential allies who get really excited, invest in the care, and they start talking and 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 creating systems of and networks of support, that I think a lot of that resistance ends up. I don't know if fading away is the right term, but ends up not becoming such a huge barrier. And again, that word of mouth for folks, whether they be um, trans folks themselves or their families and their parents, um, when you hear of many wonderful, amazing providers around that are doing the good work, um, they end up sending, we end up sending each other to those folks. And I think when we, when new providers come along and they see these um, possibility models of good care provision, um, then they start leaning into that. So in anything in life, I think you're going to have folks that might be le less excited about or might be reluctant to prepare. But I think there's more and more folks that are really actually genuinely excited about and willing to do great care. And I think that the more that we see examples of that, the better it's just going to get, naturally speaking. Okay. So... Um as a new healthcare, a new healthcare provider that wants to provide good gender affirming care, and you want to be able to get that word of mouth that you keep talking about, what's a good way to kind of show the public that you are willing to provide this care and provide it in a sensitive manner, so that you can, you know, pr create the network. 
I think some very simple things, and they might seem really um, um, simple, but just if, if you are genuine, genuinely are somebody who's willing to provide great care and you're willing to be meet people where they're at, and if you make mistakes, just be accountable and, and move on. Um, then just simple things, like if you have a website, making sure that on that website that you let it be known that this is a gender-affirming space, uh, mm-hmm. a safer space. We can't, we can't assure that it's always going to be safe, but it's a safer space. Um, think about things like, for instance, if you have, uh, again, washrooms in your, in, in the place that you work, um, are, are they trans inclusive? Are they single cell washrooms? They can just be labeled washrooms, not male and female, right? Um, if they're, if they're only multi cell just having something on the sign that says something to the extent of trans people welcome. I'm trans. I know I'm welcome in the washrooms. It's not <laughs> me. It's for the folks that have never thought about, uh, trans issues before. Just let them know. Don't be a gender policing jerk as you enter the washroom, you know, just leave folks alone. Um, intake forms. Do you need to have gender on it? If you don't, then remove it. If you do need it, then maybe offer a place for some to self-identify. So if you have to ask what their legal sex designation is, do you also have a place for people just to write down gender or the pronouns they use? Um, if you need their legal na- name on their ID, um, a place where people can write down the name that they use, right? Even if people don't write those things down, if they're part of the LGBTQ community or if they're the parent of a, a, a trans youth or so forth, they notice these things when they enter your space and they know that this is a place that's trying to make it more accessible. So I think that people are more willing to come back if, if they if they have a negative experience or if they're a little apprehensive, they're willing to come back. Or for folks who've opted out of healthcare altogether because they've had a negative experience, maybe their partner, maybe their friend, maybe their parent says, hey, I went to this um, this clinic and they actually seem to be really trying. Maybe this is a place for you to opt back into care. And so I think that as somebody getting um, it, into the healthcare, if you can provide kind of intentional um, um, symbols, not just a, like a, a, a trans flag or a rainbow flag, but also the work behind it to make the space more safer in, in intention, word will get out there so quickly, I promise you, that people will be will definitely be coming. Um, and they'll be talking about um, what a great person or you know. And I think that's I think that's huge. I think you can never underestimate how much people will spread um, the word if if somebody's amazing. Yeah. That's great advice. Thank you so much. Um, I don't want to take too much of your time, so I think we'll stop there. Do you have any other comments before we end this interview? Um, just, I think an important thing that I often will say in in when it comes to um, when it comes to folks that are doing the work uh, or want to do the work, I often say in workshops, just thank you so much. For the work uh, and the work that you've done, the work that you plan to do, because it really is life changing and sometimes life saving. And that's really huge for a lot of folks. And so I think that the more that we have great providers out there, um, the less kind of frustration that people might have when they don't feel like they're accessing or able to access care. And that's from my own personal experience. um, that's huge because it means that you get to really focus in on the other things that are going on in your life, whether that be your family, whether that be work, whether that be school and stuff. When you're not 
frustrated about lack of care, you get to work on all the other things that make you a three-dimensional, you know, uh, human being in the world. So just knowing that it actually does impact people in, in, in a big way. Another thing I think is really useful, just to rename it again, is that we have our trans health uh, website, which I think is really useful for people to get lots of information for, as well as for to connect with our health navigators if people want to. So transhealth.phsa.ca is the web address. And I really recommend folks, care providers go there and look at that because it's, um, you might not learn everything that's on the website, but at least you recognize what is there or not. So if you have a, a client or um, a parent of, of a youth who's come to you, you know that you can send them there to access more information. And from that, they can connect with folks that are perhaps even more connected in, whether it be a parent group or a support group for folks or other care providers that are doing the work. That's so sweet. I Thanks so much, Gwen. I hope the next generation of primary care providers can do you proud in this work. I, I, I'm trusting on you all, and I have lots. lots. <laughs> I, I, I'm positive by nature, so I, I, I know that it's going to happen. And so, yes, again, thank you, and you're awesome. Oh, well, thanks so much for talking to me today. And thank you to everyone that's listening. I hope to see you on the next podcast.